1: The latest news, the newest products, the biggest names. Welcome to Your Tech Report. Online at yourtechreport.com. Join Mitchell Whitfield and Marco Aflalo for the next hour of Your Tech Report.
2: Yes, indeed, Your Tech Report. As she said, Mitchell Whitfield on the other end in Los Angeles, Marco Aflalo in Montreal. It is at Your Tech Report on Twitter, on Facebook.com slash Your Tech Report. The pages of yourtechreport.com is where you can hear this show, previous shows, incredible interviews, and much, much more. Mitchell, 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 how are you? You know what? I'm doing
3: well. I'm a little overwhelmed this week. There was a lot of big news this week, a lot of exciting news. You know, I'm excited about playing with all these great toys that people send us. So overall, I'd have to say a really good week. Very good week.
2: We've got an awesome show lined up for you, Mitchell. We're going to do a little flashback to CES because the people, the listeners, have demanded it. So we're going to flashback to a, a couple cool interviews, one of which is my favorite. It's a Belkin and Linksys. We're going to oh, talk yeah. to our good friend, Matthew. Matthew Um, But before that, Mitchell, there is news of the week And oh, oh, sorry, I forgot to mention David Weir is going to join us at the end of the show To talk about GDC happening in San Francisco You know, you said it There's so much stuff going on now The season is approaching Apple's big media event is on Monday We expect to see all the juicy details About that Apple Watch Including pricing, availability Maybe we'll get some pre-orders soon There's rumors of some other announcements But we really don't know what we're going to see, do we?
3: Uh, No, we do not. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm interested in getting, you know, this time next week, we will be talking about exactly which Apple Watch model we both will be purchasing. (laughs) So, yeah, even using that voice just frightens me. But, yes, a lot to talk about next week as well. But, hey, too much to focus on right now this week.
2: Such as Samsung's big event at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, Spain. They always take this opportunity. This seems to be their product cycle release to release their next big Galaxy phone, and we have it. It's the Galaxy S6 and the S6 Edge, which yeah. looks really cool.
3: It, they look really cool. And Mark, you know, we are not we are not ones to pat ourselves on the back. But you know what? Let's just it, it, it bears mentioning. There was a while back we were talking about what we thought, we were speculating on what the next Galaxy S phone would be. What Samsung would have to do to remain competitive, because it's been a great phone for them. It's put them, you know, to say it's put them on the map is an understatement that it was the best-selling phone in the world for several years. Yes. Uh, and the Galaxy S6 is a huge departure. Now, when we talked about this last time, we were sa- you asked me, what do you think they have to do? And I said, I really do think they have to do a new, modern design to this phone, and that's exactly what they've done, but not at the expense of some features that people used to love about these Android devices, but let's start off with the, you know, the overall look of the phones. First of all, they've gone to an Apple-esque, mm. and, I, and I'm saying that with all the love intended, and um, yours. an Apple-esque design, wouldn't you say? The, a glass front, glass back, metal in the middle, a metal frame, so they've gone away from the plastic back that they used to do, but what happens with this, Mark, is now that they've gone away with that plastic back and it's gone to glass, metal, and glass, you can no longer replace the battery? You can no longer yeah. add memory to it, so it's become more like an Apple device where you have to buy it at either thirty-two, sixty-four, or one hundred and twenty-eight gigabyte increments in terms of the memory. You can't add extra storage to it. You can't replace the battery, and they've also taken away the ruggedized. You know, we have the Galaxy Active, which we Active, which we've tested, uh, which we've we'll talk throw about. It, in a throw minute. it in the but- bathtub. Exactly. But all Galaxy S5 phones were water-resistant, whether it was an active version or not. Now, that has gone away as well. They're expecting a ruggedized version of the S6 to come out later in the year. But for right now, no more waterproof. So they've taken away almost as much as they've given, but it's still a cool-looking
2: device. It is an absolutely cool-looking device. But here's my question to you as a consumer, as a fan of of Samsung products. Would these be deal-breakers for you to not get this new phone? Absolutely not. I think there's too much yeah. on the upside. The design, I think I think they needed,
3: when they were going up against the Apples and the HTCs of the world, where people are expecting a more physically polished product. As great as they were, they've always had great Super AMOLED displays. They've always had great processors, an incredible amount of RAM, but I think they were missing that higher-end look. They started getting that a little bit when they went to the Galaxy Note Edge, which we also tested and loved. Uh, but now they're they're just, I, I think they're well worth it. The question is, are consumers going to be Confused, Mark, because we have the Galaxy S6, and as you said, the Galaxy S6 Edge, uh, Galaxy S6 Edge. Sorry, and really, the only thing that separates them is the wraparound screen. Now, on the Galaxy S6 Edge, the screen wraps around on both sides, giving it a curved look, a curved feel in the hand. It also gives it.
2: It gives us this feel that the screen is going edge to edge.
3: It is, it is, and it looks it looks beautiful. But it really is only a visual, a cosmetic difference because at least with the Galaxy note edge, which we actually loved, that, that phone is curved on one side, but Mark, on the note on the note edge, that curve also acts as a place where you can actually enter information. You can pull up all of your settings and activate it by touching that curved edge. It had functioned it has function yeah, it's exactly. not just it's not just for looks absolutely on these on this new phone on the Galaxy S6 Edge it is just there as as a, a great looking and a great feeling thing, it doesn't actually give you extra information like it does on the Note. But it's packed with technology, beautiful Super AMOLED display, as always, quad-core processor. Yeah. They really put some extra work into the camera. It's a still still a 16-megapixel uh, rear-facing camera mark, but they put a lot of work into low-light productivity. It's supposed to be an excellent... Excellent camera for low-light photography, much faster than it was in the past. Software, as always, that comes bundled, beautiful. But the big difference is, Mark, they've gone for a higher-end look, Well, like for some people are saying, at the expense of some of the features people loved, like replaceable battery, addable storage, and the waterproofing that came natural.
2: There was another phone that made its debut at Mobile World Congress, and that is the HTC One M9. Now, the reason I wanted to bring this one up is because... From the looks of it, from, from from the initial looks of it, nothing's changed when you look at this device. It looks like the same design, but what really happened, Mitchell, is under the hood, they made some incredible, incredible changes. Three gigs of RAM makes it absolutely fast. They've yep. gone to a Sony 20-megapixel camera on this absolutely gorgeous device. They've, they've changed the materials. There's a mix of rose gold and, and half actual yellow gold, which is really, really beautiful. Um, but overall, other than some boosting in processors, they've kept the design similar. And the reason is, is because it's doing so well, so it's from the old. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, school, right? Exactly. So they've really focused on things that matter. So the RAM obviously increases the speed, the processor speed is a nice bump. The look, though, everybody loves the look and feel of that M8, so they kept it in the M9. They changed some of the you know aesthetics in terms of the metal, but they really boosted that camera at you know 20 megapixel on a device like that. They know that people are using their devices for, for their you know everyday shooter. Absolutely. And Mark, look at what these two companies did. It's like they both
3: did what they had to do. Samsung had the great internals. They always have great software, great hardware. They just needed an aesthetic refresh for the shell of the phone, which seemed a little dated. Now HTC was in the other direction. HTC had this gorgeous cutting edge design from the first HTC one that came out two or three years ago. What they needed was to upgrade internally. And especially you mentioned the camera. You mentioned that 20 megapixel camera they got with the module from Sony, correct? Mm -hmm. If you remember when HTC first came out with their higher end devices with the one line. the the cameras were always well thought of, well respected, got great reviews, but they went with a different technology. They had a lower megapixel count. You remember, they were still at 4 megapixel cameras when everyone else was going to 8, 12, and 16, because they were going for larger pixels and for a different approach to better better imaging. Now, with their technology on the better imaging side with larger pixels, you factor in the 20 megapixel module they got from Sony. I can't wait to see what kind of pictures the HTC M9 takes, because honestly, I was happy with what they were doing at, at 4 megapixels, imagine the resolution you're going to get now with their tech and a larger megapixel count.
2: Let's talk about a couple of things that happened this week, Mitchell, that weren't in Barcelona, Spain. I what, could do that. One thing that excited me was the uh, first public preview of Office 2016 for Mac. This has been, I mean, we're talking about, uh, you know... Five years, five to six years after the last release for Mac, we're finally seeing Microsoft spend time on that version of the software. And it shares a lot of code with its iOS brethren. And and Microsoft's focus on this release really is about accessing your documents and sharing things in the cloud within their ecosystem. And really getting all those features that were on a PC that were limited on a Mac into the Mac versions. And it's, it's a very, very exciting time if you're on a Mac and you still love Microsoft products like that.
3: Now, Mark, let me ask you something because I know the technologies are different. Obviously, programming for the cloud versus designing a desktop quality app. But with so much, with so much going back and forth, there's so much cross-platform, if you will, even from Mac to PC functionality between mobile devices and desktop devices. Do you think we're finally going to see the end of this four to five-year product cycle that Microsoft has been entrenched in when it comes to releasing their products on Mac? I think for I don't know why I'm feeling this, Mark, but I do feel that that cycle is going. To come to an end, because I don't think they can really afford to do that now with so much competition and cross-platform issues with performance. I don't think we're going to see this anymore. I think we're going to see more frequent or cloud-based updates that are happening every year.
2: I think we're going to absolutely agree with you. I think it's going to happen cross-platform, every device, uh, whether a Mac or PC, iOS, Android, no matter what, it's going to be consistently updated because they're sharing code and they're going to evolve. They're finally on a level playing field, which is what uh, has taken so long, is getting things on that level playing field and allowing people to update upgrade, especially with you know being able to subscribe to it instead of having to buy a $300 piece of software off the shelf. Yep, that's right. Apple released uh, the first public preview of their Photos app in their latest public preview of 10.10.3, which we're probably going to see an announcement of next week. The biggest thing about the Photos app, other than the pro features it brings to it, is they're ending an era of Aperture, which is their their high-end photo editing app, which may or may not piss people off. We will We will see in the coming weeks when that is released.
3: You know, it's always really sad when you hear, when you when you read about it, when you hear about it from friends that use the software, that they were getting notification from Apple. Whenever we get that notification,
4: Uh-oh, we will soon life. be ending
3: support for, or we will soon be ending this product cycle or this feature. Yeah, but, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, Mark. Yes, you're going to lose something on the Aperture side, but uh, they are gaining a mass audience when it comes to their Photos app. Yeah. Again, everything going to the cloud. Everyone is trying to make sure there's cross-compatibility with your online images and your locally stored images so people care about
2: that now that's you know that's the fact is that people do care about that
3: Although I will tell you,
2: I will. When Mark and I
3: will both attest to this, regardless of how stuff is stored on the cloud or locally, we recommend that you do get a couple, at least one external hard drive, oh, yeah. backup everything, and hide it somewhere that isn't in your home. Because God forbid something happens, you want to make sure those images are precious and valuable. Make sure you keep a backup every I've few got, months and then take it somewhere else You know, in case something happens.
2: I've to got house. gigs and gigs and gigs of photos that I would never want to lose, so I'm glad. Same here. That, uh, thank you for that piece of advice, Mitchell.
3: Thank you. Yeah, you know, I'm protecting your <laughs> memories, Mark.
2: <laughs> (laughs) Ikea is building in wireless charging into their furniture. This is so cool because you know how widespread Ikea is. You know how cost-effective their furniture is. So now building the technology into it just means that we're going to get this in our homes that much quicker.
3: And why is this important, Mark? Because Silly Mitchell Whitfield, I, I went third person, or actually that's second person. Um, silly Mitchell, I didn't mention that's one of the things that is also built into the new Galaxy S6, of course. And Galaxy S6 Edge is wireless charging. Two different protocols that are built in because you never know which wireless charging protocol is going to be the one that takes off and becomes the standard. So Samsung made sure there were two different protocols in these devices. Could you imagine sitting there with your phone, sitting there on your couch or on your chair, just putting it on the armrest? And- and boom, your device is charging. I think this seems silly to some people. I think, Mark, it is brilliant, it is the future.
2: Mark Aflalo, Mitchell Whitfield with you. Your tech report. We are going to flashback to CES. We're going to start with a flashback to Panasonic's announcements because we're going hands-on with a lot of their products now, and this interview was an awesome one. We'll do that one right after the break. Then we're going to talk to our good friends at Belkin and Linksys, and we're going to wrap up the show this week with David Weir and talk all about GDC. It's gaming time, Mitchell. It's gaming time. All that and more on your
1: tech report. Your tech report will be right back.
2: Welcome back to your tech report. Mark Lalo Mitchell Whitfield with you. We are flashing back as we did last week to CES 2015. And this one was a fun one. It was an interview with uh, our good contacts and friends at Panasonic Canada telling us all about their product lineup for this 2015 season.
1: Now, back to Your Tech Report.
2: Marka Flatlow, Mitchell Whitfield, back with you here on Your Tech Report. Mitchell, we love talking to people. We're talking to people all day long because CES is just wrapping up in Las Vegas. And uh, you cannot go to a CES. You cannot omit one company in particular. Panasonic has come out in CES as long as we can remember because they are one of the biggest brands in consumer electronics. They do everything. That's why. Well, exactly. So on the line with us right now, is a a new friend of ours (laughs) from Panasonic, the Director of uh, Audio and Video, or the Director of Marketing Audio, Barry Murray. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Okay, Barry, I've been asking people today, the first question I ask is, what excites you the most out of your announcements this year in CES?
5: Well, other than one specific announcement, I think what impressed me was just the size and scope of the categories that Panasonic has shown that it uh, is involved with uh everything from traditional AV products but also through to uh our our association with Tesla uh supplying them batteries for their new Model X and uh, our participation in their gigafactory to our uh partnerships with uh, over 300 airlines around the world providing the in-flight entertainment systems all the way through to beauty care products, uh, you could actually get a haircut and a shave in our booth. so uh, we're all very very interesting and, and very reflective of the size and scope of a company like Panasonic.
2: And that's what impressed me the most is when you look through uh, the images of your booth, it's insane from from pro video recording to hair curlers to you know and, and, and things like the batteries in, in the Tesla vehicles people don't even realize to what extent and what reach Panasonic has in the industry.
5: That's that's correct. So I think the CES show provides a perfect platform for us to be able to show the size, scope, and um, uh, number of categories that we're involved in.
3: Oh, absolutely. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think so many people, like you just said, are, are surprised and shocked, you know, because we've known Panasonic for years. And on the consumer end, we have such knowledge about your line of products. But like you said, on the back end, what you guys do as what you're doing at Tesla, it's good that people know this, but to bring it back to the consumer just for a minute, and to keep it in the video realm, when it comes to televisions, as a matter of fact, Barry, I just had a conversation with someone that was looking to get a big screen TV. And they were bringing up names like, oh, you know, you get the Samsung, the Sony. I was like, yeah, but you know what, you really need to be looking looking at Panasonic because for years video files, especially in the plasma range were always you always went to Panasonic for the great dark blacks, for the great pictures. So on the video side, maybe in the television side, what does Panasonic have coming up this year that I can start recommending to people on the air and off the air as well?
5: Well, I think your point is a good one. We've always been recognized as a leader in providing uh, best-in-class pitcher performance. And regardless of the device, whether it's plasma or LED or even OLED, it is our sincere intent to continue to provide that. And uh, I think what we did show at uh, Vegas this year, rather than a series or lineup of product, we showed new technologies that continued to raise the bar on pitcher performance in both LED and OLED. So that's very exciting because we're now on the cusp of new platforms or or new uh, panel technologies being put in play that are going to continue to raise that bar, you know, whether it's at 4K resolution or in the future higher. Well,
3: that's another thing I was going to ask you. We've seen, you know, uh, Barry, we've seen, and you know this as well as anyone, we've seen for so long new technologies come out. Uh, and we don't necessarily, even when you know 4K has been out for a little while now, but still, we don't necessarily have the media to support all the new devices. So people are still looking at OLED. They're still looking at plasmas. They're still looking at traditional LEDs. Do you see the model moving forward? Are you guys still going to be supporting the LEDs, OLEDs, and even plasma, and, and not just go straight to all the new 4K technology? We're still going to see an abundance of 1080p sets and not just a complete switch over to 4K.
5: No, I think you're going to see a very fast switch over to 4K, similar to what we saw from the days of standard definition to high def and then from 720p to 1080p. All of this tends to happen very quickly because consumers who are demanding leading edge want to buy with the future in mind. And uh, these products have an average lifespan of, say, between 7 and 10 years, and uh, our broadcast uh, environment will look completely different five, six years from now, two, three years from now, compared to where it is today.
2: Now, you mentioned the batteries in the Tesla vehicles, and that brings me over to uh, kind of a separate conversation about green energy and people using energy differently. So that brings me into the fitness world of things. A couple of things that were on on, on showcase in the Panasonic booth were were bicycles and, and fitness. What What kind of aspect does Panasonic have a play on that marketplace?
5: Well, Panasonic's manufactured bicycles for uh, uh, several decades, actually, um, it's a business that's mostly focused on Japan, but one that we would like to see expand globally. And part of that uh, value proposition is to offer uh, a battery-driven bri- uh, bike using uh, the same battery technology that we use in Tesla cars. In other words, uh, you know, a battery technology that's very efficient and uh, provides a much better end-user experience by supporting their ability to bike uh, bicycle, whether it's you know, in a difficult environment, or uphill, or uh, at higher speeds than they would average uh, with uh, just uh, human power.
2: If I'm a consumer today, um, what is in your mind the biggest biggest breakthrough product category that Panasonic can really raise that flag about?
5: Well, I think, you know, the the eco aspect of uh, all of this is very important to all of us. And Panasonic, of course, is heavily involved in that. So, you know, the next big breakthrough in battery technology, I think, is really the next big game changer. And uh, we continue to work on that. And, uh, you know, sometimes these things are more evolutionary than they are revolutionary. Uh, from that perspective, uh, we continue to try to raise the bar on efficiencies in our batteries. But not only that, um, you know, it's also about. Uh, Um, our eco solutions with our solar panels and creating that power and then finding a way to efficiently store it so that it can be used in off-peak times and uh, that, you know, the devices that do use it do use it very efficiently.
3: You know, Barry, one of the things we try and do here is make people aware of, even even with a large, hugely successful company like Panasonic, people have a certain idea. Oh, here's what they do. Here's what we know them for. We know TVs. Now people are learning from you and from obviously listening to us now. They, they didn't know a lot about this other stuff, in-flight entertainment, about the Tesla stuff that you guys are doing. And to an extent, we started doing Panasonic cameras a while back. A lot of people didn't know about the digital imaging, and we, we tried to bring awareness to that because we want people to know all the things that a company like Panasonic. Sonic does So you mentioned audio before what can we what can we tell our listeners what is Panasonic doing in the world of audio whether it's speakers receivers what's coming out this year?
5: Well, the major announcement at this year's show was the reintroduction of a very iconic brand, that being Techniques Audio, which yeah. uh, we haven't sold for about a decade now. Wow. Um, but we think the time is perfect because we're seeing a revolution in the way consumers uh, buy audio and their expectations from, from that. Um, the audio, in the audio category, uh, the movement was towards something very convenient but not necessarily focused on maintaining high-quality sound. But now with the availability of high-resolution audio that's downloadable through several sites, um, consumers can gain access to almost studio master-type quality uh, in the actual uh, tracks that they purchase. And that provides an opportunity for us to reintroduce people to, uh, you know, that wonderful feeling that you get when you listen to music like it's live. And this is the technology that will bring us as close to that as possible while still maintaining that high level of convenience that downloadable uh, digital music allows us.
2: Which is something that people really, really are looking towards today, even with the comeback of, of things like vinyl. It's, it's amazing how the focus on audio is is so high, which is great. Exactly. Barry Murray, Director of Audio Video for Panasonic Canada, thank you so much for joining us this week. It's been my pleasure. We continue our look back at CES 2015 here on Your Tech Report. Mark Aflalo and Mitchell Whitfield with you. Again, if you want to get in touch with us, it's contact at yourtechreport.com, facebook.com, slash Report, on Twitter, at Your Report. We continue in a moment with a look back at Belkin and Linksys, here on your Tech Report.
1: This is your Tech Report. For gadget news and reviews, click to yourtechreport.com.
2: Mark Flalo Mitchell Whitfield with you as we continue our flashback to CES 2015. We're going to rewind the time and... Bring you back to an interview we had with a a wonderful rep from Belkin and Linksys. Mitchell, we we love these interviews. People are just swallowing up all these interviews that we were doing. So we're going to continue this trend and at least try to get at least one great interview every single week. And this week, I'm really excited because I have to admit, even being in this technological world, I forgot. I forgot. Uh, When I think of the name Linksys, I forgot that they were bought by Belkin back in 2003. I thought it was still Linksys and Cisco, but no, Belkin and Linksys are one. So when I reached out to Belkin, I got the response saying, yeah, I work for Belkin Linksys. I'm like, oh, my God, that's so true. And then I started going through the websites going, I own everything. No, I was going to say, I know what started going off in your head,
3: like, oh my gosh, all the things, all the great gadgets that these two companies together have, and that was one company. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave this up to you to, for the introduction because I know you
2: cannot wait to dive right in. So go ahead. So, I won't take away your thunder. Go ahead. On the line with us is uh, Matt Whalen, who's a product manager for Belkin Linksys. Matt, how are you?
0: I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me.
2: Are you surviving post-CES?
0: I am surviving. I'm caught up on sleep and uh, back into the swing
2: of things. So so tell me, Matt, we, the reason we do these interviews is we could, we could sit here and read press releases all day long, but who better to speak to than the people who are passionate about the products that they rep and they work for? What excited you the most out of CES this past year in terms of your product lineup? Feel free to separate that between Belkin and Linksys.
0: <clears throat> well, I think for us it was uh, a pretty good combination of both. So... We had a lot of cool things going into CES and at our booth, which was a mainstay for those of you that had a chance to walk through the South Hall. You saw a lot of new and innovative and different things for us on the Linksys dog side. So specifically around Linksys, one of the things we've done is that, you know, classic WRT router that we've known and loved for, you know, a lot of years now we brought back into the market last year with our WRT 1900 AC. And what we showed at CES was, really an expansion of that product portfolio with the new router we've got a nas device we've got some high gain antennas that we're going to be bringing to market we also had a switch that's going to play into that and had that same look and form factor so the the folks that recognize the blue and black from linksys and and trust that router and have one and you know i can tell you a lot of folks are still using that router There's a lot of great things to come from that space. And then certainly on the Wemo side, there was a lot of great announcements, too, around our sensors and what we're going to be doing in that space. So um, for me, it was a a two-headed monster coming in and coming out of CES around both those product lines.
3: Well, let me, tell, let me tell the folks out there listening to us right now, Matt, If you, because uh, I'm looking at the, the new WRT that you're talking about. And, yes, it's familiar with the color, but it's got a really cool new design, so people should definitely take a look. It's not the one you're used to. It's really futuristic and awesome looking. But what I wanted to ask you, Matt, was we're in a time now with smart devices, connected homes, everything that requires a great Internet connection at home. Do you find now that even today when the Internet and having a wireless connection at home has become so important to our lifestyle, people are still kind of intimidated to take that step and put together their own home network. And even though you guys make it so easy, people are still a little intimidated by that, and they really shouldn't be, should they?
0: No, they absolutely shouldn't be, and that's a great point. And you're 100% correct when you say that, though, because if you think back to a few years ago, any router that any one of us would have gone out and bought would have taken a CD uh, setup requirement and exactly to contact our service provider if we ever ran into an issue. There's also the fear of how much downtime am I going to have. I live in a house with 20 devices and four kids. The minute I unplug that router and all these devices go offline, we know what's going to happen. Kids are screaming. Wife is freaking out. So we want to make sure that we don't have any downtime. And if swapping out that router means downtime, that's a concern. But we've come a long way. And I can tell you on our Lexus product lineup, we actually have routers today, all of which require no CD. It's as simple as opening up a web browser, typing in a URL, which we very clearly lay out, and one step, two step, three step, you pick your SSID, you decide if you want a password, no password, which we strongly recommend that you do, and (laughs) you're off and running. And then you go back, you connect each one of your devices, and you're taking advantage of the latest technology from one of the better routers on the market.
2: Okay, so i i immediately upgraded to the to the new ac router because i was one of those people who had i have a larger home and it was hard for me to get a signal to the far reaches of my home and i i tried a bunch of things man i i mean i had different kind of repeaters i used some some apple stuff trying to get things to work in different places and i realized at the end of the day what i was doing i was actually making it worse so when (laughs) i upgraded to to the new router I immediately removed all those wireless extenders and everything was was far better. And I expected when I opened the box I'm like this is a beast. I expected this this beast to be hard to set up. And as you said, web-based interface, beautiful graphical user interface, a beautiful app that you can use to control your network, guest access so you really can limit things and do things that you were only limited to on like kind of a, a professional network, so to speak, now on the home side of things. But tell me about range extension because that is a big Thing these days. People don't realize that these range extenders, especially when you're using the same product, obviously a Linksys product to extend your, your wireless router. How well do these work now?
0: Yeah, it, the range extension category, you know, great point as well, it has come a long way. Years gone by, range extenders were, you know, complicated to set up. People didn't understand if they were putting them in the right place. And We've made a lot of advancements and put some innovations into range extenders to take that experience to the best possible place. And a good example of this is on our current lineup of range extenders and the ones we announced at CES with Linksys are um, what you do is as you're setting up your range extender, the misconception is you put it in the zone where there's no Wi Fi. But the core of how a range extender works is it picks up the existing Wi Fi in your home or your cottage or your lake house or your apartment. And extends it from there. So if you're putting in a zone where there's no Wi-Fi, guess what? You're not able to extend anything because it doesn't exist. So with our latest range extenders, we're actually going to have, and and we do have today, a software, uh, whether it's on your smartphone, your tablet, your laptop, your desktop, which isn't mobile, but those other devices, that will show you optimal placement. So if you're too far away from your range, if you're too far away from your, your home router, we'll say not a great spot, give you a little red X until you get a little bit closer. Now, if you put it two feet away from your router, that's not optimizing what the range extender is built for. So we'll tell you, you're too close to your router. Go out a little bit further to really take advantage of what this is going to do for you and give you a little bit further range in those tough to reach places. So it's just the little things like that that's making it one, easier to use and two, giving the customer a better experience as soon as they take this home, as opposed to, you know, what you and I had been through with range extenders in the past.
3: No, this is this is really great. And these are the kind of innovations that we love to hear about because let's face it, the average consumer isn't that well facled in home networking. And I think you're right. I you know it never I, I couldn't have explained it better because when I'm trying to help people um, set up their networks, I always try to explain to them, no, no, you can't take the extender and put it in the far reaches because an extension, an extender by nature has to have the signal in order to actually extend it. And people don't really get that, but the fact that you guys make it so easy, yeah, it kind of takes the guesswork out. It makes it easier for guys like me.
2: I, I use the example when I'm talking to people. I'm like, if you were trying to extend your power with an extension cord, you still need to connect it to something, right? Exactly. You need to connect to something to get to that point. Now. Yeah. Uh,
5: now, Great shi- analogy.
2: shifting over to the, to the Belkin line of things, Wemo was a big focus because of the new sensors. And home automation is becoming something that is no longer, you know, someone who's just tinkering around with, with, with these base stations and stuff like that. Home automation, how big is it, uh, a factor in, in Belkin how, and Linksys together? How big is that, that whole, you know, scepter of the, of, of the industry right now?
0: Yeah, so I would say it's obviously a very key priority for us. You saw a lot of focus from us at uh, CES around the Wemo brands and what we've done with it. We've been one of the leaders and innovators in that space since we launched our switch a couple CESs ago and where we've gotten to today, you know, through the partnership work that we've done with lighting partners like TCP and Sylvania Osram, through small appliance partners like Jardin Consumer Solutions where we've got uh, WeMo-enabled crock pots and WeMo-enabled coffee makers. W- we know that folks and, and a lot of your listeners today are trying to think, what, what can I do in my everyday life and to, to simplify this? And what are some of the devices that exist out there today that, one, aren't going to cost me a lot of money, two, yeah. are going to be very easy to use, and three, if I like it, I want to be able to scale that in my home and add more things to it. And that, that's been at the core of what we're doing with WeMo and what we continue to do, and these sensors are a great example of that.
3: You know, Wemo is is just one part, of course, of what Belkin offers, and, you know, what you're talking about was presented at CES, and I think the really cool thing about the Belkin brand is there, there is such a diverse product line. When I, when I think Linksys, I really do think about the home networking, but when I'm thinking about Belkin, I, I mean, we're talking about, yes, there are networking solutions there, but we're also talking about keyboard cases for your mobile devices, uh, you know, armbands, uh, hubs, and docks, chargers, cables, an incredibly diverse product line, so for people that aren't familiar with Belkin, it really is just more the connectivity it's about all of your devices in home and out right
0: yeah absolutely and in a great way you know i often think about this as i'm sitting down at the end of my night and i pull out my tablet my tablet's in a folio from belkin and i want to check that my coffee's going to be ready in the morning well that wemo app that i just clicked on is made by belkin and the wemo coffee maker that's connected to my network is connected to a linksys router which is built by belkin so (laughs) all those different touch points and all those different experiences in my home whether it's online with certain devices or a soft line with just a folio or my armband for my iphone after a run it, it's all made from the same great family of products so those three brands all as part of belkin international can really touch everyone's day-to-day lives in different ways absolutely
2: now i want to mention something that you didn't because when people think of home automation i think there's still this little cachet that people think it's difficult what's interesting about the wemo line and what belkin has done is that traditionally in, in and still a lot in a lot of home automation Instances you require this hub that's connected to the internet, and that hub connects to your devices. You don't even need that hub. There are some things that, yes, use a hub, but with the WiMo line, it connects directly to the internet over your Wi Fi network. So you really aren't limited as much as you are with other products.
0: 100% correct. So, you know, I spent a lot of time talking about the WiMo lineup, and I, the first question I ask, you know, any one of your listeners who might, you know, is, is thinking about this, or anyone I'm talking to in front of a group is Do you have a smartphone? Yes. Is it iOS or Android? Yes. Do you have Wi-Fi in the home? Yes. That is the requirement to use any one of our products in the Wemo family. So, I, you know, we, we, the three of us know that the percentage of folks in the U.S. and Canada that have those two things in their home or their apartment or wherever they may be is very prevalent. So the, the gateway to getting into home automation with Wemo is, is low. We, you've got it. You can use it. Wemo is available.
3: Okay, Matt, now I promise not to make your head explode too much, or at least make too much of a mess. I want to switch it back, because you're doing such a great job of switching back and forth. I want to go back to Linksys for a minute, and the reason I'm doing this is we have we have a pretty large listenership of gamers on our show. We do a lot of game reviews, and I think people sometimes forget that when it comes to gaming these days, whether you're doing it on a console or a PC, your wireless, your home network becomes a big part of it. And going back from my gaming on the Xbox and the Xbox 360 days, I remember the highest number of compatible routers and wireless routers always came uh, under the Lynx's name. So if I had to put you on the spot here which I'm going to do right now, we have gamers that are listening right now they want the best throughput they want they', they want the you know the, the you know moderate NAT they want everything open and free and clear. what router would you recommend to the high-end gamers out there that are looking to have the best connection, the fastest speed possible, the most coverage?
0: So, in my opinion, if I were to think of myself, who's also a gamer, I've got my Xbox One downstairs. I play a lot of kids' games now that I have kids, but I certainly. Join the club.
3: Yeah, we all yeah. do, yeah.
0: I find the odd quiet hour to get into some of the more advanced games, but I needless <laughs> to say, it's a lot of kid games. For me, one of the routers, and the router that I run today is still that WRT1900AC. It has got everything from open source capabilities. so maybe there's a firmware that the gamers have something unique that they're looking for maybe they're looking you know to to do something with open vpn support maybe they're looking to block off roommates from using wi-fi when they're on uh, (laughs) a a game or they're online maybe it's turning it off for other members of the household like my wife and kids during certain hours so all those aspects of what the wrt 1900 ac can do for me the, the workhorse of a router, the power that we packed under the hood on that particular product just screams a great gaming experience. Of course, there's a lot of other routers that have different uh, applications. We, we've got a router in the market today, a Linksys EA 9200, which is TriBand. So I could, oh, wow. I could also position that one you know, as a great product for a gamer who might say that extra 5 gigahertz radio is dedicated to my, work, my desktop gaming rig or my console and then the other 5-gig radio and the 2.4 radio, well, those are for all the other devices in my home. So, really, it, it, it's a matter of finding the right router that works for you. If you don't have a lot of devices and you just want to, you know, hammer hard on your, your console, your gaming rig, to me, the wrt 1900 ac represents that wholeheartedly.
2: You just named probably about seven features I didn't even know it can do when I own it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I could help. That's awesome.
2: Um, I, uh, Matt, I I really just want to thank you. You know, we've used up a lot of time here. I want to know if we is it okay if we get back in touch with you in uh, three four months to talk about the things that you probably can't tell us about today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to the day. We've got some cool stuff coming.
2: So <laughs> Matt Whelan from Belkin and Linksys, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Your tech report will be right back. Welcome back to your tech report.
2: Yes, indeed. Mark Flallow, Mitchell Whitfield with you on your tech report. Lots of stuff happening. The season is approaching, Mitchell. We know it. We just flashed back to CES with Belkin and Linksys. What an awesome interview that was.
3: Yeah, you know, uh, we have so much. We, you know, we we have so much going on uh, aside from the interviews. We, there's, this is a time of year right now, Mark, where you know, it used to be everything was seasonal, right? Uh, there'd be one time of year for new tech to come out when it came to mobile. There'd be one time of year to come out, but now there are complete seasons that last for months. And right now, we're sort of entering. Video gaming season, which uh, which is going to last, of course, another four to six months, but it's kicking off right now with GDC Game Developers Conference in San Francisco, and Mark, who do we bring in when we want to talk everything gaming? Who do we bring in? We I go. let you give the we intro. We go
2: overseas, and we welcome we our gaming editor, Mr. David Weir. David, welcome back. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Have we spoken to you in this new year? I don't even think so. I don't think, yeah, we, no, I think
4: we did. I think we did a small show at the start of the year, but that was about it.
2: Well, welcome back. It's so nice to have you here. GDC going on in San Francisco, Mitchell. It's like in your back door, but you don't bother going there because it's just chaos. You wait for E3, don't you, Mitchell?
3: Well, you know what it is? We go to as many of these things as we physically can, but we also find, and I think you guys will agree, we do our best work, we do our best coverage when we're not actually there running around. This is You true. do your best coverage when we're actually here getting the news and being able to talk about it on the air. But, David, to start off about GDC, one of the things about this conference in the past, and especially applying it to this year, David, look, all the major new consoles have come out already, or so we thought, right? We have Xbox One, PS4, the Wii U has been out for a while. We just got the new, uh, the new 3DS XL from Nintendo. We talked about that. So you think GDC is going to really be talking about games. So how surprised were you that a lot of the focus on GDC this year was actually on physical hardware? Were you expecting that?
4: No, I wasn't, but I did expect the people who talked about hardware were the people I expected to do so, though where Valve, right. because Val- Valve this year are basically really pushing the fact that the Steam Machine is almost here. So this year, we're, we're starting to see a proper... There's now actually, as of today, a proper hardware tab on Steam where you can see all the new models of Steam Machine and get an idea of how much they're all going to cost when they're eventually released. Never.
3: No, for, David, I just want to make sure for our listeners that aren't exactly sure what Steam machines are, everyone knows that Steam software is the great software that lets you go online and have your entire online PC library that you can download to any of your computers, you can stream. But Steam has also been teasing us with this, and I'm making quotey fingers. Now, the Steam box <laughs> hardware, which will be dedicated devices that will stream Steam, uh, but this was the, a lot of their boxes were put on hold. Was it because of the controller, David, that everything was put on hold, basically, when they had to recall their controller because they wanted
4: to do more work? on it was that what it was i don't entirely think so i think that may be the slight part of it but i think also the fact that you're basically building dedicated piece gaming pcs that are meant to hook into your living room right and that's a difficult balance to hit so there may have been a lot of back and forth between manufacturers and valve themselves understanding exactly what they wanted these systems to be capable of because bear in mind a small box that sits under your tv is going to be a lot less upgradable than your standard desktop unit correct and you want to be able to buy something that's going to last like a few years, whereas you know I upgrade my PC in terms of bits of components maybe once or twice a year. You're not going to be able to do that as easily with a Steam machine. Does
2: that well, really does that really matter? I you know I, I look. I look at this whole gaming world as it's—there it's, it's, it, are the hardcores that, that are really into the consoles and the PCs, but these all-in-one kind of set-top box solutions seem to be coming more and more plenty. So is the upgrading really—does a, a, it really matter at this point? Or people just want to be able to enjoy the game on whatever platform they're running it on?
4: I think the problem there is that with a console game, you kind of know what you're getting in terms of graphics— gameplay etc whereas on a pc because of everyone has a slightly different build of pc everything else you're not entirely sure how that game's really going to run or look on your system and it's still fundamentally a pc that you're putting in your living room now one of the things um valve announced this week was one a brand new updated controller which has it's gone they've gone back to the the haptic sort of touch feedback things on as a as the actual controllers on the pad it looks a lot like an xbox one pad now only with sort of big touch areas for your thumbs. Right. Um, the other thing he announced was the Steam Link, which is a little box with an HDMI connection and it hooks to your home network and allows you to stream from your current PC directly to your television. So this is the trend. This
2: is, I mean, yeah. we know this is coming in the next version of Windows. We know that you're going to be able to stream your games to other boxes. So this is, I mean, I guess they've identified that people want to be able to play their games on, on, on multiple locations, which we know because the Wii U really started that trend, didn't it?
3: Absolutely, but I wanted to go back just one second to what you were asking about upgradability, and David, I want to know your opinion on this, because we've, we've seen the flame wars between PC gamers and console gamers now for years. Console gamers brag, oh, we can relax in our living room on a big screen TV. PC gamers are like, yeah, our games look better and we can upgrade our console." So, as David was saying, it's sort of a delicate balance merging these two worlds, Mark, but if we look at the Alienware Alpha and what they did, because yeah. even though they're technically not a Steam box, it was supposed to be the first Steam box, but when Steam got delayed, they came out with it anyway. Alienware wanted to put it out. Yes, you can still upgrade the RAM, the processor, so it is upgradable. And I think, David, that to an extent, they have to be a little upgradable because that's one of the one that's the one advantage that PC gamers have always been able to hold over their console friends, which is, hey, as new games get more and more complex, we can actually upgrade our hardware. You can't. Na 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 na. <laughs> so I think there has to be some form of upgradability in order to support their na 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 na.
2: Mitchell is pointing his finger while he's doing that. Just to yes, give you, I am just To right paint now. you the image. Yeah.
4: <laughs> This this is true. I think the thing is, though, is that Steam are now looking for that market that has not got a problem spending four or $500 on what would be a console or right. a living room box that they will upgrade in three, four years. You know, these are, I mean, they're looking for the same consumers who buy an iPad every couple of years or buy a new iPhone. It's going to be another piece of consumer tech that they have in their house.
2: What is the price point on the Steam box?
4: There are various price points. At the moment, we're looking at something around about... Anywhere from about $350 to around about $700, $900. There are ridiculously so they're, they're, expensive They're
2: going ones. after that console market.
4: They are. They very much are. And, you
3: know, it's a good experience. I mean, if the Alienware Alpha is any indication, it is a great experience. David, I want to take it to the next place, which is uh, something that we did expect, yet not in this sort of volume. The, you know, gaming hardware, you know, on the Steam side or on the PC-based gaming side, it wasn't the only thing we saw hardware-wise. We actually are starting to see a lot of virtual reality. We saw, you know, we talked about it a little bit already in the Samsung announcement at their at their conference. Uh, we, we've seen announcements now from Sony with Project Morpheus updates and even HTC teaming up with VAT to put out their own VR headsets. So this was pretty exciting that we're
4: getting all this new VR news, right? Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, Oculus is now pretty much saying that they're going to be at retail level by the end of the year. And Morpheus, Sony's project, is supposed to be out sort of mid-2016. They showed off the new headset this week and it's really small. I mean, it's really smooth, it's really small. And Sony say that's pretty much what it's going to look like when it comes out. And... It has to be said, I mean, I'm, I'm one of these people who keeps looking at it and going, can I wear that with my glasses? Because that's going right. be awkward. <laughs> but at the same time, having played a couple of things with Oculus, it, it's an interesting experience. And I would like to see how it goes. I think the bigger, bigger thing for me especially will be price point. How expensive is that going to be when it comes out?
2: Is it a strange experience to use these headsets? Like, do you, Does it seem abnormal or does it become very familiar very quickly?
4: It takes a little minute to get used to, like anything else I suppose does, but then once you get used to it, it just becomes a screen that you've got a far better field of view and a sort of more immersive experience, especially as most of the headsets also have in um, audio equipment to for like. So 5. they do a 1. pretty good
2: job at really immersing yeah. you in the experience. I've yet to try one of them, and I'm I'm almost kind of scared to because I don't know what to expect. I you know I think back to the Star Trek Next Generation days in the holodeck. And I'm like, okay, well I'm gonna hit a wall if I walk actually walk forward. But you know, that- I think you're afraid you're gonna get sucked into the Matrix. I think that's what you're really yeah, afraid of. That's that's probably my fear, Mitchell.
3: Well, you know what you know what they're saying, David, and you've had more experience with these than I have, is that with the VR headsets especially, the, the thing that throws people off is they're seeing things visually but not getting the commensurate feedback physically. So I know there have been setups where they've set up fans, you know, where the wind is blowing yeah. when you're walking. that actually simulate the even physical experience. Yeah, even moving exactly. floors and textures. Exactly. And... Some, some people are doing it on treadmills to have the full exact experience of actually walking forward. But, I mean, they're trying to find that happy balance. And, David, you, you mentioned it. You, you, you want to have the smaller physical size for comfort and wearability, but at the same time, can you wear glasses with these things? Also, were you surprised that HTC not only came out with something, but got a great reaction? Was it the Vive? Is that what it's called? I think it's called the Vive or the Vive. I don't know how to pronounce it. They're getting a great reaction. Were you surprised to see another player enter the market?
4: I actually wasn't, because Samsung also announced that they were doing a yeah, similar one, right? where you right. could get the, gal- the, the Galaxy and hook it into a, a VR device, a VR headset. right? And I think that we're just looking at the point where Five years ago, six years ago, everyone was talking about motion controls, then it was voice recognition, now it's VR, so everyone's trying to take a piece of the new pie. All right, you know, uh, we don't have a lot of time, so I want you to talk about Rock
3: Band, because this is one that a lot of us are excited about. If you've ever played Rock Band, you've been wanting it on the next-gen console, uh, it's a coming, isn't it?
4: Yeah, it's coming for PS4 and Xbox One, Rock Band 4. Um, I'm slightly annoyed about this because they've said that you might be able to use your previous instruments and I just sold all of mine. Oh. <laughs> but the thing I like okay. is they've just said that every, so far they think every single piece of DLC apart from the Odd Song will be available on the Xbox One. Nice. And if you've already bought that DLC, it's going to be still there for you to use. Excellent. So and that's, you know, the and don't feel bad, David.
3: And, But you know what? don't feel bad because you know when they put out a new game, they're also going to put out special editions of the guitars. They're going to put out special instruments. So, you'll be able you'll to buy it all over back, again. but they'll be better. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. sold
4: the pro drums. That's
3: upset oh, no. I am. Your pro drum oh. Okay, last thing we're going to wrap this up. Uh this is pretty big news. Talk about cross-buy because we've been talking about the the Windows 10 ecosystem and how Windows is really smart and Microsoft is smart leveraging their gaming success. You know, using their gaming success to forward their operating system. So, talk about cross-buy for gaming on Windows 10 and Xbox One.
4: Microsoft's um, head, uh, sorry, head of Xbox Phil Spencer um, said that they want to be able to make both systems essentially crossover completely. There will right. be no difference between using the Xbox One and using Windows 10 Xbox sort of app. Um, so, so far they've announced that Pinball FX and I drew a red box will both be available as cross by, Buy them on one console, they'll be available on the, on the PC as which well. Which makes sense. Yeah. And this is, of course, about also the fact that like, Fable Legends will have cross-play from both Windows 10 and PC, and they've just announced Elite Dangerous is coming out on Xbox One.
3: Oh, yeah, I just um, read that.
4: And they've said that they're hoping that they'll be able to do cross-play for that as well, which is a big thing, because Elite Dangerous is a big sort of PC game. So, I'm interested to hear that'll happen. But the idea of cross-buy is a big thing, especially with anyone who's got a PlayStation who can buy one game on their PS3 or their PS4 and get a Vita version as well.
3: Yep. I love this. And this is Microsoft's way of saying, hey, we may not have a handheld, but we have a way to give people bonus value if they're going from a PC to their console. Mark, this is big news. And you know, it's only going to get bigger and it's only going to get better because E3 is creeping up on us. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so excited. I'm you're choking. so excited. You're, cho-
2: you're choking him up. I'm choking, choking up. But you him know up. where
3: I'm going to be when I co- when E3 comes. Uh, At- David,
2: uh, can't wait. It's cool stuff. It's really, really cool stuff. David Weir, thank you very much for joining us. I think we're going to talk to you, uh, uh, if not next week, in a couple of weeks. we got uh, we got what event's coming up next week? It's PAX? It's PAX East this weekend. Yes, it is. Wow, my God. It's all the time we have this week for your tech report. On Twitter, it's at your tech report. On Facebook.com slash your tech report. Of course, the pages of yourtechreport.com for David Weir and Mitchell Woodfield. I am Marka Flallow. Thank you for joining us. We're, uh, back again next week and of course uh, don't forget all the shows and all the interviews and stuff online at yourtechreport.com
1: you've been tuned in to your tech report join us again next week for another edition and be sure to follow your tech report online email us contact at yourtechreport.com follow us on twitter at your tech report like us on facebook.com slash your tech report for the latest in breaking tech news and reviews yourtechreport.com